Hi, good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. Thanks for joining me today for what is a special topic in our webinar series. Today, I'm going to be talking about uh, the coronavirus and how we're going to handle these workers' compensation claims. I'm going to try to do it from a variety of perspectives and make this as useful as possible. I'm going to be talking about uh, compensability examples. I'm going to be talking about the different jurisdictional standards of proof, New York, New Jersey, and longshore jurisdictions. I'm going to talk about when in infectious diseases are compensable in general and when they're not. I'm going to try to give as much practical advice as I can and give you some clear takeaways. Now, I'm hoping you're able to uh, get to the handout, which should be in the uh, right-hand side of your screen. In the drop-down, there is a handout you can download. Uh, almost everything I'm going to tell you in the informational part of this conversation is in that handout. The most important thing I think we can do uh, is answer your questions. I have uh, received dozens of phone calls over the last couple of weeks from both employers and from carriers asking me uh, how a coronavirus uh, outbreak at the workplace or a single uh, ill uh, employee would be handled and whether these treatment, quarantine, testing, uh, any lost time, and how that would be uh, handled under the workers' compensation laws, both in New York, New Jersey, and Longshore. And I've been answering these questions as best I can, but in order to sort of uh, give everybody the same information at the same time, I thought it'd be useful to have this webinar. Uh, this will be the only coronavirus joke I'm gonna do, by the way. Uh, also, we can't possibly get infected by coming to a webinar, so this is a good way of sharing information, ha <laughs> ha. Prompts no more jokes. Um, and uh, I think the most useful thing would be answering your questions. So as I'm going along here, I only have a few minutes of sort of background or a preparatory material that I'm going to discuss. Uh, I'm really looking forward to getting questions. I'm going to answer the questions uh, live, uh, type them into me, and I will read out the question, and then I'll uh, state the answer for everybody. Now, I'm not gonna say your last name, I'll just say your first name, uh, so don't be embarrassed if you're asking a question uh, that you feel silly, but uh, it might be useful for someone else to hear that answer. So I won't say your last name, I will repeat the whole question. All right, let's begin uh, by just talking a little bit about the conversation we're gonna have today. Almost everything I'm gonna talk about today, infectious disease, illness, occupational exposures, and compensability are all covered in our handbooks. If you don't have a copy yet of our handbooks, we do one for New York, we do one for New Jersey, my partner, Tashia, uh, this year uh, released one for defending construction claims, dual jurisdiction construction claims, and of course, our Longshore Handbook. If you don't have a copy of our handbooks, you should. And I put links, I put links to the handbooks in the uh, chat uh, function as well as in the handout. I hope you can get to that. Um, we also are answering questions about a variety of workers' compensation topics uh, every month, every Monday at either 12 o'clock or three o'clock. And some Mondays we have multiple sessions going on uh, webinar topics for our clients. Uh, the first Monday of the month is always our construction defense webinar. Second Monday of the month is always our civil webinar where we focus on risk transfer issues and subrogation issues and workers' compensation claims. We do a New York dedicated uh, webinar the third Monday of the month. Uh, that's next Monday or this upcoming Monday. And that webinar will be focusing on fraud uh, and fraud claims in New York. Uh, and the last one we do in the fourth Monday of the month is always a New Jersey webinar. And you can always pop into those webinars 
and ask questions live during them, and we'll answer them uh, for the whole audience. So if you have further questions, I'm going to uh, put information in the handout as to how to reach me directly, but you can also pop into any of our webinars and ask us questions. All right. Let's get into the topic at hand. I'm only going to go through a couple of slides, and then my goal is to answer as many questions as I can, so please be typing in your questions now while I'm going over some of the background material. But first, question I want to answer is whether or not infectious disease can be covered under the workers' compensation law. And the answer for all the jurisdictions that I practice in, New York, New Jersey, and Longshore, the answer is yes. Uh, infectious disease can be covered in New York, New Jersey, and in Longshore. Uh, but in general, what we're talking about is infectious disease that results from an incident, a specific traumatic loss, a specific inciting event that leads to an infectious condition, illness. Uh, and you know, we can think of a lot of examples of circumstances where those type of uh, claims could be compensable. I have seen in the last 20 years of defending workers' compensation claims, nearly every type of infectious condition or uh, injury claims to be work-related. Everything from infected spider bites uh, to hepatitis claims uh, to eye herpes, uh, other types of communicable diseases. We've seen literally everything alleged. Now, which one are which one uh, of those types of illnesses or injuries are compensable and which aren't? Well, let's talk about traumatic versus occupational. In general, a traumatic exposure, a one-time incident, is generally going to be found compensable. What is a traumatic event? What is a traumatic exposure? A great example is a pinprick or a needle stick incident, where we have someone working maybe in a medical setting who accidentally gets a needle stick on themselves after perhaps treating an infected patient. Very clear that circumstances like that with a specific uh, trauma, a very specific uh, way or modality of injury uh, and a high degree of causality would, would be very likely to be found compensable. And that's true in New York, New Jersey and the Longshore jurisdiction. Uh, the challenge is uh, you know, defining exactly what is traumatic and, and what is an occupational claim. Uh, oftentimes, we'll see claims uh, alleged to be occupational exposures. Uh, really, they, if anything, they should be alleged as a traumatic. And the burden of proof in those cases uh, would be, of course, on the claimant or petitioner to show that there was some sort of accident at work, right? The first step of compensability is, was there an accident? Uh, was there an injury arising out of it in the course of the employment? In the case of a needle stick, or exposure, for example, to uh, some type of uh, infectious material that clearly caused an infection, uh, which resulted you know, quite shortly after the event, we would be expecting there be to be some type of incident that would be recorded or documented, which would then lead to that condition. So uh, we would be expecting in those circumstances to see uh, some type of documentation of, and that's a specific traumatic event. Um, now, most specific traumatic exposures that result in an infectious disease condition or illness will be found compensable. And that is true in New York, New Jersey, uh, and the Longshore jurisdictions. Uh, all right, here's where uh, you're not going to see those types of claims found compensable. And that's in occupational exposure claims, essentially where the claimant or petitioner is alleging that their general exposure to the public or to co-employees uh, cause their condition or uh, to their general environment, okay? Even people who are exposed to the public in perhaps a retail setting 
uh, or out, out uh, are forced to travel through the public using subways or buses to get to work, those are not going to be found uh, compensable in general. There needs to be some distinctive or peculiar uh, aspect of the employment that particularly exposes them to some type of pathogen which then results in the illness or condition. And simply being like, for example, a school teacher uh, who has to be uh, you know, out and among the general public or working in retail and you have to handle money or perhaps act with people on a daily basis or a waiter or waitress, any of those types of jobs, there's nothing peculiar or nothing special or distinctive about them. And the standard is almost the same in New York and New Jersey for that distinctive nature of the employment that the injury must arise from something very peculiar or, or related to that employment. Uh, in general, uh, those types of occupational exposure claims are not going to be found compensable in any jurisdiction. Now, there are some um, caveats to that, and the two caveats I'm going to give you apply uh, both in New York and New Jersey to first responder claims. In New Jersey, there is now a presumption that if a first responder is, re is responding to an epidemic or catastrophe, comes in contact with any type of infected uh, either patient or person in the general public, and they then contract an illness, the presumption now under the statute, section 31.5, is that it will be presumed compensable. So that's a first responder type of carve out. For New York, there's a first responder carve-out, and that carve-out essentially says, uh, under Section 10 of the Act, that if the first responder um, needs to be tested or diagnosed in order to determine that their contact with this infected material uh, could have caused their condition, then that diagnosis or testing cost would be compensable. Now, in general, when an employee comes forward and says, well, you know, my co-employee was sniffling the other day, and I think I'm sick, and it might be coronavirus, and I want you to pay for the test. In general, testing and diagnostics are not going to be covered under the Workers' Compensation Act of any state. Uh, the exception to that is New York, and that is only for first responders. Now, New York and New Jersey, both, by the way, define first responder quite liberally uh, to include anyone both in a volunteer or a paid capacity. It also includes correction officers, uh, and it really includes a, a pretty broad array of employee types. Regardless, uh, in my practice, we don't really do a lot of municipal or governmental work. We don't really see a ton of those types of cases. Uh, but if you are dealing with that type of population, particularly first responder population, again, whether paid or volunteer, uh, the burden or the standard will be shifted in those cases. Now, some practical or general advice for defending these cases. Now, typically, these cases will be controverted or denied by the workers' compensation carrier uh, if the uh, allegation is that of occupational or co-employee exposure, essentially saying, look, I work out here in the general public, uh, or I had to commute to work just like everybody else, or my co-employee even was sick and was coughing three cubicles down for me, and now I think I have coronavirus. Those cases should all be disputed or denied, unless there's some very strong nexus of causation that uh, would you know, place it into that sort of outlier category. In general, Exposure to co-employees who have the condition is not going to be compensable. There's nothing peculiar or distinctive uh, or uh, unique to any workplace that says, well, you're not going to be exposed to other human beings or the public at large. And so for those reasons, those cases will primarily be disputed. In New York, that will mean the filing of the Freud-04 or Short-04 uh, once the injury or claim is reported and then followed up with a pre-hearing conference statement and the raising of all proofs in that regard. 
in New Jersey, it's going to be essentially the letter to the employee saying, uh, we're not accepting this as compensable. It's not a uh, covered loss. That's for the classic, uh, I just went to work, now I have the sniffles three weeks later kind of scenario. Where there has been a very specific uh, or uh, incident or accident, and where the employee is going to be able to demonstrate uh, contact with an actual infected uh, or suspiciously infected uh, material, whether that be uh, uh, in the workplace or as part of their dealing with uh, their job, perhaps deal with patients, where there is a specific um, uh, actual traumatic injury and insult, uh, in those circumstances, those cases very likely, if the claimant does end up being um, uh, infected with the virus and suffer from permanent residual disability related to that, those places would uh, be happen to be found compensable. And that's true in all jurisdictions. If they can show that there was some specific exposure through uh, some type of very specific incident or trauma, then the resulting illness would be compensable. All right, uh, let's move over to live question and answer. I'm sure we're gonna have some interesting ones. I've been getting all sorts of interesting questions uh, uh, over the last couple of weeks about this. So let me pop the, uh, uh, this out and take a look. Uh, Richard says, hey, I'm unable to download the handout. Okay, I think there might be a couple people with this problem. I think they're telling me over there that the, uh, it says page isn't working right now. All right, I will email the handout to everybody following this presentation to make sure everybody gets it. Um, okay, Charlie, do you see the board, and you know, he's referring to the New York Workers' Compensation Board, making awards to employees or claimants who are in quarantine but are not actually ill? Uh, and he says, in parentheses, if alleged exposure happened at work, close parentheses. The answer is no. Uh, in general, I've gotten this question a lot. Charlie, thank you for asking it. The question is, what about my employees who are either furloughed or sent home? They're not ill. They've been quarantined. Or maybe they're coming to work. And by the way, it's spring in New York City and New Jersey. And pretty soon, my car, car is going to be covered in green pollen for the next three weeks. Uh, and there's going to be people coming in with their normal seasonal allergies, the normal sniffles, and they're going to be sent home probably. Uh, is that compensable? The answer is no, absolutely not. There's nothing distinctive or unique to your workplace that's exposing them to the virus. So I don't think so. Um, okay, here's one. An employee in the workplace tests positive. This is coming from Jill. Test positive for COVID-19, where the point of infection is not known. The response by the civil slash state slash federal authorities to have a certain sphere of coworkers tested and self-quarantined for a period of 14 days or longer. The coworkers have to be tested, lab test costs, and quarantined, lost time. Under such a scenario, is there any guidance as to whether these type of costs, labs, and lost time due to quarantine would be compensable, even though the costs are preventative in scope, but ordered by the health authorities? Okay, so that's a great question. And this is kind of close to that quarantine question hey, we're doing these prophylactic preventative things. Uh, they're not infected, but uh, we have to do this stuff. No, uh, that is not covered under your workers' compensation policy, and it's not required by any of the workers' compensation laws, either in New York, New Jersey, or Longshore. And the reason for that is preventative care or prophylactic measures that are requested by civil authorities uh, are not the responsibility of your workers' compensation program or carrier, nor are they covered under the, any of the workers' compensation acts. So the answer is the lost time from the employees who have to be quarantined, people who are furloughed, people who are sent home because maybe they can't work remotely or those types of things, they do not have a valid workers' compensation claim. They would have to have, they would have to show that they were actually exposed in the workplace, infected, they would have to demonstrate those two things, and that's why they can't work. 
uh, and they would have to show that the exposure uh, was somehow peculiar or distinctive to their employment. It was more than the risk that the general population has just in dealing with the public or traveling. Uh, second person, Deidre says, Greg, your handout's not opening. Ron says, handout's not opening. All right, sorry about that, guys. I don't know why we did put it in the handout channel and doesn't seem to be popping in. All right, next. Uh, me says, I oversee nursing homes, home care agencies, and school bus companies. I would assume someone from a nursing home is exposed from direct patient care. That would be compensable, same as a home health aide. But if a bus driver feels they're exposed from driving the bus, is that compensable? All right, so this question gets really to the heart of it. How is the person exposed? And there has to be something very specific. Your, your healthcare worker, it, it's not simply I'm working in the same facility as someone who may have this condition. It's I'm working in the same facility as someone who has this condition and I have a pinprick and I uh, came in contact with their bodily fluids. There needs to be uh, some uh, more heightened nexus in order for you to accept those claims. And the same thing with the bus driver. The bus driver's employment involves driving a bus. Uh, there's contact with the, with the public there. Simply driving a bus is not going to be enough. I'm just saying, well, I'm sharing air with other people in the general public, uh, or I'm out and about in the general public. Those things are not going to be compensable. Uh, James asks, would an employee on a business trip to a high-risk area contracting disease have more likelihood of being found compensable? Uh, and the answer to that is generally no. Um, just simply being uh, out and amongst uh, a population that has infections in it Probably not going to be enough. You'd have to be something much more significant. Uh, James, if you told me, uh, hey, I'm sending my employee to the Wuhan province to provide medical care, uh, and it's very specific and very distinctive, uh, and then they could track, you know, maybe. I think that's more likely to be found compensable. Uh, the next question um, Jim asks is, would the cost of testing coworkers be compensable? No, uh, generally not. Uh, prophylactic testing or just simply diagnostic testing for conditions that are not yet established, conditions that have not yet manifested themselves, in general, that would not be a workers' compensation uh, uh, responsibility. Derek's saying he's having problems with his video. Uh, Carol asked the question, if this virus becomes a pandemic, and there is no way to determine whether a person was affected by a coworker simply because it's a full-blown pandemic. At what point would this no longer be considered a compensable exposure? Well, Carol, let me explain, uh, just to go back, great question. Should it become a pandemic or not? It really doesn't matter from the uh, context of a workers' compensation perspective. Um, simple person-to-person -person contact without any particular, peculiar, unique, distinctive feature of the employment is never gonna be compensable. And that's true of all medical conditions, which whether pandemic or not, any uh, communicable disease, uh, just because you caught it at work doesn't mean it's work related. And that's the distinction here. All right. Uh, Richard is telling me I'm having um, a tough time uh, downloading that, the handout. Uh, Richard, I'm gonna email to everybody following. Uh, Brittany asks, who are first responders? Are EMTs, nurses, and ER doctors? Yes, yes, and yes. They're, they're all first responders with the exception of the emergency room doctors. Uh, the first responders, whether paid or unpaid, are going to get either the heightened uh, presumption in New Jersey or the presumptive test in New York. All right. Uh, me says, oh, you answered my question with regard to bus drivers. Uh, Jim says, Greg, your video is out of focus. I'm not that good looking, Jim. You're probably better off the way that's going. Uh, Melody asked the question, for clinicians working in the emergency department, would any exposure 
uh, to coronavirus from the general public or patients be compensable? Answer is generally no, unless there has been some specific incident. So again, we're getting into that distinction between the general risk associated with any employment, general risk of just being associated with any public uh, exposure uh, versus something peculiar or unique to your employment. And then the next step is, can they show an actual exposure? Okay, next. Uh, William says, how about a healthcare worker who contracts it while treating a patient? Would that be peculiar? Yeah, they're going to have to, again, demonstrate some specific incident, some uh, exchange of fluid or some breach where they came in contact. Um, Brian asked the question, in an office of, say, 200 employees, if several employees contract the virus, would that be enough to substantiate a causal relationship to their employment, particularly as it pertains to New York law? Answer, no. Uh, generally communicable diseases, especially airborne respiratory conditions, are not uh, specific to any workplace environment. Uh, these, this would be something like heat or cold. It's you, any workplace environment could be hot, cold. Any workplace environment can have it. There's nothing distinctive or unique about these employments. The occupational exposure sections of the workers' compensation laws for all of the jurisdictions in which we practice are really meant to compensate people who are exposed to a specific, uh, peculiar uh, environmental or work-specific uh, 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 factor, which causes a very common uh, condition or illness. For example, miners working underground in mines who are exposed to silica. Uh, ground fine silicon causes silicosis, and they have longer respiratory issues because of that. You know, that's something very specific to that one employment. Yes, it's in the air, and all of the employees are, are related to it. But, you know, people who are not working in underground mining are not exposed to that kind of uh, factor, and therefore their injuries for, would not be compensable. So we're really looking for something very, very, very specific. Um, okay. John asked the question, what about healthcare workers, nurses, home care aides? Do they make the case that their employment placed them at greater risk than the general public for contracting disease? Yes, and they are going to make that argument. I think that we're going to see, uh, first of all, all of your first responders who contracted are going to make a claim, uh, and particularly that one or two or three percent that have a significant or severe reaction to it, as well as with healthcare workers. And the answer is going to be how we're going to deal with that. Again, we're going to be pressing them not to characterize this as an occupational exposure, but Look for that specific accident. Um, all right, Brittany, should an employee who is quarantined as a result of a potential workplace exposure, should they receive temporary total disability or short-term disability benefits? All right, so the question is, if your employer is quarantining, furloughing, uh, turning people away, saying we're closed, essentially, you can't work here, uh, those benefits would not be paid under the workers' compensation law. I think at best they would have a remedy, for example, in New York under their disability benefits law uh, or their unemployment law, but certainly not through workers' compensation. Uh, Kinjiro says, do you anticipate the commissions or states will mandate claims from direct care workers, such as EMTs, hospital workers, be compensable? Well, both states already do have uh, lowered presumptions or the presumption of compensability for those types of workers, Kinjiro. So I think those uh, things are already in place. We can expect more silliness, though, uh, from our state and local authorities. For example, uh, Governor of New York um, uh, making regulations last week uh, requiring insurance carriers, for example, 
uh, and really the only thing he could require was Medicaid, uh, to pay for uh, coronavirus testing, despite the fact that New York has no testing facility, and all that did was overload uh, the CDC's testing facility. I think we are going to see some reactionary things from the political bodies. They're just going to try to do something, get in front of this. Uh, make some sort of uh, headway, look like they're doing something, but not really do something. Uh, and so I think that's something to be mindful of. Um, this office, for example, defends a lot of 9-11 claims. Uh, and that's a circumstance where they drastically changed the burden of proof uh, because of sympathy, essentially. So there is a potential for something uh, that could be going on. Ron says, your sound needs tweaking. Thank you, Ron. This is my voice. I like it. I don't know. Maybe there is uh, an audio problem. Uh, Steve says, hey, Greg, I was able to open the handout. Great, Steve. <laughs> uh, Susan says I can open it. Okay. Okay. So a couple of people are saying they can open it. Um, Amanda says, Greg, can you give an example of how the coronavirus would be found or could be found compensable under New York workers' compensation law? Yeah. The best example is the many, 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 there's a multitude of cases in New York where communicable diseases, infectious diseases have been found compensable. In those circumstances, though, there has been a specific traumatic incident or event. The person could say, I was working with my colleague. We were working at, the, at our plant. We were doing work. His arm started bleeding. I tried to help him. I got his blood all over me. And as a result, I now um, have hepatitis B. Okay. Uh, there are cases, uh, and I put them in the handout, uh, even things like mumps and measles. And, you know, we think about those diseases as gone. Uh, but there are cases in the books where school teachers who were exposed to certain communicable diseases and had a very specific exposure. For example, they were teaching a classroom full of very ill children, and then they contracted the disease. So uh, there are examples, particularly in case law. All right. Uh, John says, if a first responder has diagnostic tests and they're found to have the virus, is there a presumption that the virus is work-related? In New Jersey, yes. In New York, no. But practically speaking, Yes, in both states. In New York, there is probably not a workers' compensation law judge sitting on the bench today who will not find a first responder's coronavirus uh, compensable, particularly if there was enough of an inciting event so uh, for the uh, testing to be required. Under the New York statute, Section 10, it says that the first responder is entitled to a test uh, if they've come in contact with what they believe to be bodily fluids uh, of an infectious nature. And so you've got that step one, where now they're going to get the test. It's going to be paid for under workers' compensation. And then step two is, is it found compensable? I think 99.9% .9 out of the time, the judge of compensation is going to find that ultimately compensable. All right. Um, Holly asked the question, what about stress claims that arise out of coronavirus in the workplace? Sure. I could tell you, everyone around here is a little stressful about it. Uh, we've done some mitigating things in my office, like, for example, uh, putting out uh, next to where the employees clock in and clock out. Uh, uh, antiseptic hand wipes and things like that, but really everyone's nervous about this. We're talking about this constantly. Everywhere I'm going this weekend, everybody's talking about it anyway. Uh, so in general, uh, there's nothing peculiar about any one workplace that exposes someone to a heightened fear or stress about coronavirus. Actually, probably the thing that exposes you to the most stress is probably talking about it and thinking about it constantly with all of your colleagues, but there's nothing particularly unique or distinctive about any one employment and coronavirus. And for those reasons, Every stress place that gets uh, raised related to I was worried about coronavirus or I heard my, my cubicle mate two doors down coughing and now I think I have it and now I have a stress claim, those are all going to be disputed and denied out the, out the door. Absent a physical injury 
uh, in New York and New Jersey, uh, a psychiatric claim is possible, but they generally fail. So in general, I don't think we need to worry about this. Mary asks the question, what about sanitation workers or janitors, cleaning staff in hospital or urgent care? Uh, are they covered? Well, they're covered under general workers' compensation, but they are absolutely not considered first responders. That's the second part of the question, Greg. Are they considered first responders? Absolutely not. Uh, Jeff says, I see the way this entire coronavirus thing ends from a movie series, The Apes Take Over All Civilization. Jeff, we're not even close to there yet. Don't worry. I think we're okay. Uh, and then Brian says, how do you think the New York judges will interpret the law as it pertains to these potential cases? All right. So this gets back to my comments about the politicians and people being sympathetic and empathetic and sometimes going too far, being too paternalistic and finding everything compensable. So this is going to be our job as risk professionals out there and attorneys on this side to dispute the cases that need to be disputed. And those would be, in my opinion, uh, the cases where it is a no specific uh, injury or insult. There has been no contact with exposed bodily fluids, uh, infected fluids, and yet the person is claiming that they have coronavirus. In those circumstances, I think we are going to continue to be disputing those cases and defending them vigorously. All right. Uh, if I didn't get to your question, I got to all of them, but if I didn't get call me with the questions, uh, I'm going to send everybody a copy of the handout so you have all of this in writing. Uh, come forward with any more questions. If I get a lot of different stuff bubbling up, I will do another webinar and answer questions live again. Just want to remind everyone that we do these webinars every Monday. Please join us for them. You can ask questions at the end of each webinar on any topic, really. So if you have more coronavirus questions or it starts to affect or impact your exposure, your risk, let us know. We would love to talk about it. Uh, next week on Monday, I will be here talking about fraud uh, and the latest decisions on fraud in New York. So please join me for that. All right, everybody. Have a great day.